Welcome to Continuing the Conversation. I'm Carl Amuzu. And I'm Glenn Collins. Fos Church is a community creating space for everyone to find hope, beauty, and purpose in the story of Jesus. Continuing the Conversation is one of the ways that we're trying to create space for an expanded dialogue and interactions based on the conversations we're having at Fos. It's been a while since we've got to have this conversation with you, and we're so glad to be back. In light of COVID change rules, just all the chaos that's been around us, we had to take a brief pause, but now we can step intentionally again into order, into creation, into saying, where can we continue and grow these conversations so that we can impact the world around us? This week, Glenn continued our conversation series, Sorted Tales of Faith. Yep, that's in the Bible. And we explored um, how the different and competing narratives, like like different and competing narratives in the Bible. And we asked the questions, like, how do we hold on to both of those stories faithfully as we navigate the sacred writings when they conflict? And so, Glenn, let's jump in. And I, I'd love to hear your thoughts um, that, came from, that, that came up for you as we explored the two stories of Zachariah and Nehemiah. Oh, well, first, since we haven't got to do the sordid tales, I just want to say, like, I love this title for a series for the fact that often we make faith like an either or statement. It's either clean or we have to be embarrassed by it. But to say that these are sordid tales of faith, it lets us sit in that tension that faith isn't clean, isn't well thought out all the time, but it's very intentional. It's faithful. And as we step into this last week, what came forward to me for Zechariah and Nehemiah is they had different ways of being faithful to the hopes that they had, but actually brought them into conflict with each other because their hopes actually changed the way they could see the community. Their hope framed and invited into a particular way of being the community. One saw a city without walls, without protection, without the need of defense because all would be included. The other said we could only be safe if we can be separate from and said we need these walls, but both of them being in the biblical narrative actually shows us that the dream of God in Zechariah also had room for the anxiety of Nehemiah to say, no, we need to pull back and have boundaries. That even though one, and it's something I, I was really hit me when I was going through the passages, the dream of God to Zechariah was by God's in initiation. The building of the walls was by Nehemiah's grieving over Jerusalem and God responded to. So you almost have this push and pull there of the future dream we're hoping for, but God being able to participate in real time. And that to me was the most beautiful part of the conflict of the hope because it, it made a, stat a static thing that we generally think that single storyline into a dynamic interplay between God and us to be co-creators for the Jerusalem to come. Oh, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, and I think for, my, for myself, just something I've been thinking about was even the way that we frame like like that 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 whole question around what the series or what the message was about like the idea of like how like what do we do when like how do we navigate the fact that our sacred writings do come into conflict and i think the way that it's framed for me is that conflict is a negative word tension um needs to be resolved idea versus tension actually makes something taunt right and so like even like that it could pull something apart but it could also be the thing that actually adds the structure necessary to hold it together right like it um and conflict you know it could be the thing that you know it's it's that whole saying you know pressure bust pipes or it makes diamonds you, you know what, you know what i mean mm -hmm. and i think like with these stories when they actually come into conflict is it so much that we, we need to be scared of the conflict 
or is it so much more actually that the conflict actually makes something better, stronger, and more resilient at the end of it, right? Like something more valuable to us at the end of it, right? And I, and I think I've been think I've been reflecting on that shift for me personally, where it's like, well, what do we do when it comes to conflict? Well, we don't actually really need to do a whole lot outside of like when we hold on to both of them. At the end of it, it actually is going to make me stronger, or or like you know, like the story becomes stronger to me. I, I maybe is a better way to say that, as I hold on to the conflict, as I as I embrace the conflict, as I live into that conflict, and so it was it was more just a shift on the way that I thought about conflict. Because for me, it was like, okay, well, how do we resolve it? Is there some sort of like little tricky like little trick that we go in there and it's like it's not really conflict, you know what I'm saying? Um, but to actually say no, the conflict is necessary. Um, the conflict is actually going to create a richer, better, more nuanced and more valuable narrative at the end of the day. So each week we always try to answer three levels of questions, the head, the heart and the hands. Within the head, we deal with a question that's conceptual. It's what you keep in your mind is the structures that you look out and judge life by. The heart is the experiential question how we've been impacted or how we lived out these things and what has been the impact on our own life for carrying out these structures that we keep in our mind. And then the hands is one of the most um, pertinent ones because it's where we say, how do we make these conceptual ideas that we've experienced and reflected on tangible for the world? Because only as it becomes tangible and lived out, do these conflicts that we think we resolved or stand in the tension of actually become um, life-giving an agent. So in the first one, for our head question this week, we've often approached sacred stories as a single story with one meaning. How Nehemiah and Zechariah affect the way we see scripture? Uh, particularly Nehemiah and um, Zechariah affect the way I see scripture by showing me that it's not about just getting towards the original one truth of all truths that then dictate all of life because they both were looking at Jerusalem. Both of them had hope for Jerusalem and both of them thought they were speaking for God. So we can't say one was evil and one was good. One was selfish. One was um, selfless. We actually have to see both of them as trying to faithfully honor the God with them and saying, this is how I see the community um, flourishing the best. And where it gave me uh, a push as well as just a hope is that we don't have to choose a side. It's not now that we damn Nehemiah and send him off into exile and say, Zechariah is my guy, or for more defensive minded say, well, Zechariah was just a useless dreamer, kick him off, we'll keep Nehemiah. That we actually are called for that undulation. And it, it pushes me because it's less, do I have the right answer? Then what are my thoughts and dreams doing to the shape of the community to come? Yeah, no, that's, that's really good, man. Like what you're saying, like your response makes me think of like any, any kind of type indicator, you know, test, but um, specifically we talked about like APES before in our community, right? The whole apostle, prophet, um, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, and how they all play different roles, but they also have different perspectives on what is valuable and needed for the community. And turns out they're all true, you know, you know what I mean? Like they're mm -hmm. all needed. And I think like, if I were to look at this, um, like you have somebody like, um, like Zachariah, like, like the vision that he has is more of that prophetic edge, that, that visionary kind of apostle, like, 
apostolic prophetic kind of edge towards like, where are we going to go? What do we need to do? Right. And then you have this guy, Nehemiah, who is kind of on the other side of it, where his heart is for like, well, how do we protect our people? Like, how do we, how do we, how do we guide our people? Like, that's his first thought. And it's like, like, you need both of those guys in your community, actually. Right. Cause mm -hmm. one guy is going to force you to eat like, like, like on the defensive posture, you're going to kind of start to like just navel gaze and all and be about yourself. But on the, on the visionary prophetic side of it, kind of notion, it's always about, it's, if it's, if it's always pushing towards the future, you don't stop long enough to actually build something in the moment. Right. And I, and I think like that, when I'm thinking about this, like that, those, those two different visions for what they hoped for, one actually created the space necessary, I would say, for the safety and the stability of the people to grow into Zachariah's vision, mm -hmm. in a sense, you, you, you know what I mean? And so when I hold those two things in tension, it's like, yeah, they're, they're, the sacred stories aren't a single story, but because we can tell the story from two different perspectives, it actually gives us a bigger and grander scope of what we could hope for. And I actually like what you did there with, with part of it is Zechariah's uh, hope for the wallless city is the same hope that you see in Ezekiel when it says that um, the sons of Israel will no longer train for war in Isaiah to where it says swords will be turned into plowshares. Like you have this continued hope of a world that does not need a Nehemiah. But in, in that trajectory, like you said, yeah, we don't want to become just one of those because you're very impractical if you only dream of the future that's not here and you get that freedom of movement to say oh no the practically minded nehemiah has to be here but if you only had nehemiah like you said it wasn't pushing towards the dream given by zechariah then you get a very easy controlled system that would become the city of jerusalem that would never look outside the boundaries of jerusalem they have a very containable and needed scope yeah. It, it's only with that dream of the Wallace city that, like you said, that's where I think it's beautiful what you did because Nehemiah is allowed, but always to push towards that bigger dream. Nehemiah is needed, but if we just rest with Nehemiah, we'll become way too contained. Yeah. We need those, those people who will transgress the boundary markers to say, no, there's a bigger world if we allow it. Definitely, definitely. And, and I think like it was really interesting, like when we had this conversation as a community, even some of the points that, that, that people brought up that like, if you're if you're the dreamer type, you know, the, or, or the person who's more nomadic in their thinking, um, the, the guy building the walls is seen as, as someone hindering God's will, right? Mm -hmm. But then other people brought up in that conversation, but the walls actually, like, it doesn't sound bad to me. It sounds safe to me. It sounds like it creates space for me to flourish. And I remember when I heard those two different, those things being juxtaposed back together, I was like, it just highlighted something for me. Cause I'm definitely on the more nomadic side, like no, no walls, you know, you know what I mean? And then, it, it, but it also, it creates, I think, space for compassion to see the other perspective. And I think curiosity and compassion um, are two points that, or two, two things, like two traits that we need to actually or postures that we need to engage the story with so that we can actually come to the table and say, I, I may not understand your point, but I know your perspective is needed in our community. And I think that's ultimately where, like when we, when we can, we can look at the stories and say, it doesn't have to be a single story, but we should be having a good conversation together. It doesn't need to be a monologue, but a dialogue is helpful. You know what I mean? Like that kind of notion. No. And within that, it, um, very much inhabits the idea that uh, often when we think of faith, it's a magical concept. But um, as we both know that within the um, network of 
pistis, which would be what we translate to faith, is an idea of a relatedness. Um, sometimes it's translated into a pro translated as promise or trust even. Um, one was even translated as the proof that I did something right. So when we think of faith and faithfulness, they show faith when they make room for each other. Because even though those two voices separated by about 57 years would irritate each other, because one saying, no, do not see the more expansive beauty. And the other was saying, yes, and I see what it will cost all my people. So um, let's make sure our people are also taken care of, that you, you need both of those voices to be trusted. And like you said, one not demonized and one exalted, but to actually say, I'm not seeing something that you do because um, we approach it from completely different vantage points. Definitely. And I know that this is kind of jumping lanes a little bit, but it's kind of making me think just even of the way that like me and you have battled at times. And I say that in the best, in the best sense of the term over the vision and future for folks, right? Like in talking about where we're going and it's like, Carl, what you're saying is cool, but we're not five years into the future yet. You know, we actually got to build something in this moment. And and I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and those conversations, I'll be honest, like at times, and I know both of us have kind of walked away like, what the hell is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, but at the end of the day, I think both of those things are something that have been so drastically needed. Cause it, like that, like, and it's like going back to that point where like tension is actually something that can create structures, right? It, it, it can be something that can hinder you and tear you apart, but it can also be something that creates structures. And I feel like, like just this whole approach, everything that we're talking about has been something that is, I've seen play out within our own community that's actually created something more beautiful than I, at least I, I like, than I expected per se in this moment. You know, it's not what I, it's like, it's not the like, wow, you know, way off into the future. This is what we, I hope things are necessarily, but we would never like this, like this would never have been developed if I only pursued that. And mm -hmm. if it wasn't with the tension of, you trying to like you also pulling and saying, well, no, we need to pursue these things. And here's the vision I have. And this is the vision I think um, works for this thing. And, and I think it really plays against the thing that I think both of us were taught is that like, if you can't get behind the vision then you need to get out the bus. Right. Yeah. And I think like, no, that actually isn't a very, that's not like, it, it can be helpful sometimes if it's so diametrically opposed, right? Like, you know, you know what I mean? I don't no, see I'm like, I'd say that, that kind of conversation, you're right. And I'm glad that you, um, rewrite history enough to say we waited till we left the table to be like what the hell's wrong with you because it's not the way i remember some of our um unique views of what next steps look like <laughs> but it, the words were all used but uh i say that notion of that and yeah you're right um, i was told you know a dog with two heads is a freak of nature um you, you have to have one alpha kind of idea and it was never we need tension to move forward. It was always, we knew absolute structure. And we see that a lot, at least from my context in the States with the agree with me or leave the country. You have a bunch of citizens all saying we have different dreams for America, all saying we see value and beauty in America. And you have a loud sect saying, join us or leave. This is my country, my control, my boundary markers and to disagree with me is to hate the country, as opposed to disagree with me may mean that you have an experience or an insight that I can't grasp myself, that I need to listen. Yeah. And you're right, I think that's an unhealthy marker if we carry that into the church of get behind my vision or leave, because it, it puts us next to God in um, authority, insight, and power, 
And I would say, even if we look through the story of scripture with Zechariah and Nehemiah in particular, God adapted to the humans that he was working with. That's what really inspired me with Nehemiah. He, Nehemiah wept over the city. Nehemiah prayed to God for something that would go contrary to the vision given to Zechariah. And Nehemiah said, God was with me and blessed me in these movements. And so we have that no life and story and beauty came as God co-created with humanity. And so we shouldn't try to exalt ourselves up into a static dictator role of church. No, absolutely. And I think like, like and I think you're pushing into the, th- the right thing is that like we try to create this notion of like a static nature to God. And I think God's dynamism um, is, you know, if we want to say that God doesn't change or, um, you know, language like that, like that, that's the language I was raised with, you, you know, you know what I mean? That God doesn't change this, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, maybe it's not, the, it's not the static nature of God that doesn't change. You know what I mean? It's the dynamism of God. That does, like we can always expect God to be the God that changes. <laughs> right. Like, and I think that's what I see when I read these two different stories is there's, there's a condescension. And I, and I say that in a positive sense, a condescension to the person in front of God, like God saw that person and said, I can adapt to that. I can make that work versus get, you know, versus God be even like, this is my vision, get behind it or get off the bus. You know what I mean? God's like, nah, nah we can make that work. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. If we're saying we're trying to be like the, the deity we pursue, the, the, the God that we say is with us, we're like join me or die. And he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. I've been trying to walk with you. Um, as Frank Tupper says, uh, he said, God may have different potential he can pull out of each moment, but God is always doing God's best to bring the most life-giving circumstance out of each moment. But um, Tupper said that that's always in direct response to the potentialities of that moment. So it's not out of nothingness. It's not out of nowhere. It's not God pulling you know, unicorns out of rainbows. It's God pulling beauty out of relationships and potentials of the actual incarnate beings around him. Yeah. And it's within those that actually set limits and parameters for the way the story can go. No, that's, yeah, that's good, man. But yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, it's just, like, I think like this, like for me, it opened up a lot of thoughts around just the notion of curiosity, compassion, and just being able to, to value uh, the other perspective or other perspectives and knowing that those other perspectives, as you said, God also saw value in them. God also pulled the potential out of them. God also, like, like you know, mm-hmm. I, use, I use the language, God also condescended to that moment. And that's a yeah. good thing. That's a beautiful thing. And, and how does it affect the way you see other churches? Because sometimes I know like for us with what we hope to see within the church that we're trying to build, um, we can become very like emotionally invested into that particular modality, that particular particular way of being and we'll look at other churches and be like oh whoa if you guys could only um so in in that same sense what do we do when we see the larger church body and each gathered group becomes more like a um, Zechariah more like a Nehemiah and how how do you wrestle with their presence and voice yeah I think one thing for me that that you know I've probably said this before that I've really kind of leaned into Honestly, if it helps you to love Jesus and others better, like who am I to say anything about it? You, you know what I mean? And I think like 
that's my metric. Like if you're like, if you're, if you're, you're the church being the church. And so like other local communities or whatever language you want to throw there. Um, and you're, you're like, I can see tangible harm being done to people and it's not, and you're not very loving and you're not, you know, loving Jesus more. And you know, you know what I mean? And you're creating people who are radicalized without actually being connected to Christ. Like, like you're becoming zealots versus Christ followers. Um, I have a problem with that. And I would say like, that's not actually like, you're not being the church at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because we're different and I don't, and I don't understand why what you do is valuable. Um, and it's like, well, cool. You guys sing songs and you guys seem to love that. And you guys do this thing over here and you guys seem to love that. But I see the fruit of their community is like, they love their neighbors. They love each other. They love, you know what I mean? They love Christ. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's awesome. Like, like more power to you in that. And I've tried to really kind of hold on to that metric for how I, I make judgments about the church. And and even then, like reality mm-hmm. is, is like, it's still a flawed system, but it's the, it's the closest way that I've been able to see value in the things that, that completely baffle me. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> well, the tangibility-ness that you brought out is something I think it would be great for all of us to be able to um, try to put into practice that before we have a litmus test of, did you respond well to the things that I would want you to respond to, to be able to try to step back and say, what is tangible? If it's harm, if it's abuse, um, like the thing that's said often, um, we, it's, it's a matter of opinion and until your opinion takes away my ability to be human and to live well, then it's no longer a matter of opinion, there's tangible harm. And allows us to give a lot more room when we say, okay, I don't agree with the way you read, said, or did, but there's a tangible value within the community, tangible love and not tangible harm. So I, I can just give that a pass and be like, yeah, this, this is beauty. I can still celebrate you. Yeah. No, for sure, man. Like that's a, would be a great way if the wider body of Christ was known more and that's like, no, no, we celebrate where there's tangible love, joy, peace, kindness, faithfulness to each other coming out. Of course, we're going to get upset when you're sending 20 people a week into therapy for trauma. It's like, yeah, that one we're going to have a word about. And like, like, well, I'm like, I'm trying, I'm, I have a thought, but I, but I also am trying to not let that thought betray thing. Like, like the faux pas of like saying too much sometimes, you know, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I know that in our own story as folks and, 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 and your story and my story, as far as different things going forward, um, I think one of the things that have been most harmful in recent events and times has been that has been when people who, who say they love Jesus and follow Jesus, you know what I mean? Allow mm-hmm. their way of following Jesus to cause harm to other folks, i.e., you, me, yeah. other folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that points oh. out to something like that was a more fear-based system rather than saying that we can express trust and trust means that even though I may not understand you, I'll have space for you and hear you out because I trust that what you're pursuing, like Nehemiah and Zechariah, we're both pursuing the highest good for the family of believers their own community and the way they saw their community relating to God. So both can be part of the wider dialogue. Um, And particularly what happened um, in the story you're alluding to is they didn't have the trust to be able to say what you're doing, you're doing because you're pursuing God. 
they only had the fear that maybe you're doing it a few percentage points different than me. And really, you have to at least be at an 87% agreement with me if you fall to an 84. Um, and that it, it was that kind of logic of difference is threat rather than difference is the hope for Wallace City. And yeah, yeah it's like, it is unfortunate. It um, made for a, a lot of things in life that went crazy and we're still actually uh, situating from that. But we have to be able to hold that space to be able to say what we did, even in that action. I think it's fear-based. I don't think it's, I don't think it was a healthy response and didn't show good respect. But I do think the person did it at the very least with the best of intention. They just um, are a bit more scared of boundaries than uh, you or I are. Yeah. Well, okay, man, like you're in a healthier place with it than I am. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> my, my thoughts on it are still kind of like, I get an email and it's like, well, that's an email. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, it's, it, it really was unfortunate. I know like my wife is still trying to put um, wrapper mind around the fact that we had, we were set up really well there. So we had deep relationships, wider community, a good job. Like um, it was, it was looking beautiful and um, more prosperous. So it, it is a completely jarring thing um to be found on the wrong side of the wall but it is something that i i think we still appeal to like both these stories show the god with us whether you're with zechariah in babylon or nehemiah sitting around the temple saying god has showed up how do we make it real um so i think it's it's probably time for us to jump into the hard question and so with that the hard question is this when have you come into conflict over or with competing stories within scripture? How did you respond? <laughs> that story you brought up is the perfect segue because that is literally what happened for us. Yeah. Um, life is messy and we had conflict over different hopes for what the community could look like. And because of different hopes, different demands on what actions must look like. One person, the one who acted against uh, me in particular, um, was more fear-based. And so he sees that the best way to um, honor these is to create very definitive boundaries between us and them. That, that, that above all matters as a faithful act to God. But then again, we see that in Nehemiah. Um, when you have the one foreigner come up and say, are you going to rebel against the king in chapter 2? Like the hope in Zechariah said, everybody's going to be here and all nations will travel here and all peoples will exist here. And that's why we'll have no walls because God will protect us and every kind of human, every kind of nation will sit here. So difference was positive. It was virtue. It was hope. Um, Nehemiah was more in what happened to us. Like when, it's, when they're asked, are you going to rebel? And it said, Nehemiah turned and said, what business is this of yours? You have no right to this land. <laughs> it's like when I was born here. I was literally yeah, I was born. Like, on, I was born on a pew. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but that's what we ran into. And I know my response in this because uh, this was very personal. It's like first, anger and like a desire to be like, man, I'm gonna help your come up and come to you faster. 
I'm going to write some people. I'm going to make sure that you have to account for what I saw as betrayal. Um, and as we processed over the time, I know Brittany and I have had to try to come around to like, well, this was one of those unforeseen circumstances that isn't quite as black and white, isn't quite as we did everything right, they did everything wrong. Um, these are, like you said, different dreams for where the future could be. And unfortunately, these different dreams actually cause a lot of chaos in life. But we're still saying we need to pursue these dreams. Like our hopes still have to shape our futures and has to have the room that there's going to be different kinds of futures, um, to put it more to the point of the text. There are different Jerusalems present. There's a Jerusalem in Zechariah's dream. There's the practical Jerusalem of Nehemiah. And then if we want to go with the Christian writings, you come into the hope for future Jerusalem coming, descending from heaven to where the light floods the world. But we have to allow our hopes to shape the Jerusalem to come. Well, I think, and I think that's a good point that you're making there. Even, you know, like in Vancouver, man, like it's really interesting to hear people's perspectives of Vancouver. Um, and it's, it is based on how you experience it. it. It's based on on your perspective of it. And you would think it's two different, you would think it's multiple different cities actually, you, you know what I mean? And, and so what you're saying just kind of hammers, like 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 looking like just a very tangible, here's real, like I actually see that happen every day in, in my city where it's like, wow, that's a, that sounds like a great place to live. Oh, you're talking about Vancouver. Yes, it is a great place to live. I got you, okay. But that's not how I saw it, you know, you know, you know kind mm -hmm. of idea. Um, versus this notion that we think everybody experiences it the way that we experience it. And I, and I, and I think that's, it's actually beautiful when I can actually hear your, like, how do you see this? How do you see the city? You know, what is, what is the version of Jerusalem that you, that you hope for, that you exist in? Um, and how is it different than mine? And can I, can I learn to see it from your perspective in any capacity? Because I'm, I know, I'm pretty sure it will expand what I think Jerusalem could be then. Right. Yeah. And I, I, for me, at least that, that's a, that, that sounds like a beautiful hope, not something to be scared of, but I know for others, that would actually be a scary proposition that you and can possibly expand my Jerusalem. To be fair, and to be fair to both so that we don't make one like enlightened and one foolhardy um, is both are actually pulling from things they see in the actual tangible city. Both are naming realities for the city. Um, it just changes like, and I really got to witness that coming here because whenever you get to move somewhere, you actually get to hear people's hopes and how they describe when you ask them questions. So if they think that there's nothing of virtue or valuable, when you say, what's there to do this weekend? Like, oh, this is nothing. You really want to get out of town. It's like, oh, okay. Like, well, what do you love about the area? And then others will light up and say, oh, did you know 15 minutes over this way, there's some beauty that you'll not get to experience anywhere else. There's a trail, there's a monument, there's a historical event. Like, depending on how you're trained to see the city, because both stories being in scripture when they come into conflict, we're not pulling from different um, sacred writings. We're just pulling different strands out of them on whether we see things getting brighter, more beautiful. Like Paul said, when Jesus came, it was like the breaking of day and dawn has the light coming up over the mountains, but you only see dawn and expect noonday sun. So you should be looking for more light in the world. Yeah. Um, and depends on if we think the sun is rising or setting because a lot of people that Vancouver they see or around here in Olympia the Olympia they see is a scary one where the sun is setting 
something is ending. We don't know what to do. So we come into conflict with those who say, no, the sun is rising. We feel more warmth, see more light if we can only train ourselves to see it. Yeah. And I think though, that kind of gets into that tension for the way, like Vancouver was the same when we moved up there seven years back. I've never had so much apology for weather that I thought was nice. <laughs> There's a very Canadian thing of like, oh, we're so sorry it's raining. Next day it was sunny. We're so sorry. It's not usually this sunny and hot. It's like, you guys, it's beautiful. It's like, oh, and people would get lost because they knew how to look for the negative aspect of the weather. When I was like, no, this is gorgeous. Like, oh, we're supposed to like the weather. Huh. Yeah. You know, you grew up in Vancouver. If like the first thing out of your mouth is like, yeah, so I heard that it's supposed to rain later on today. And that sucks because it's always, you know, <laughs> dot, 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 dot. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, it's just, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely a Vancouver trait, man. Like we can talk about the weather, like nobody's business and then tell you it's nobody's business. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like, we're, we are trained what part of stories to pick up on in the yeah. same way you said that you were transitioning from tensions need to be resolved in, in scripture to tensions are actually how we grow and participate in scripture from shame to celebration from um, disparate parts that we can't connect to, Oh no, this is the fertile ground we can grow out of because sitting between the tensions, we have to add our lines to it. And I think that's, where we've experienced the most in these settings. Yeah, no, def definitely. Um, and I, I want to pull back a little bit to just kind of how we launched into this question. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously, like, like, like we're talking about a narrative and this, like something that, okay, this happened and this is how it played mm -hmm. out. But you kind of alluded to the notion that it actually emerged from the way that we saw the, the, the story, mm -hmm. right? The story of Jesus. Um, and for, 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 for you, and again, this is not to juxtapose and say one's good, one's bad, mm -hmm. but one was a fear-based posture. One was a, well, how do we open this up, expand this kind of posture? And I know for, for folks, like our hope, our hope is that we can create a more inclusive community, a, a more expansive community. Um, one where, you know, we find our commonality at the table of Christ, not because we always believe the same thing or agree upon the same things, but we find that mutuality and respect based on the table of Christ. Um, and, and, and it's just really interesting to me that I, I, I don't under, like for me, honestly, I, I have a hard time imagining how that vision of the body of Christ could ever sound negative or threatening to somebody. Um, but at the end of the day, like, like, you know, I don't think we've gone more than six months without having somebody come and challenge that vision of a vision, mm -hmm. you know, you know what I mean? And push back on it, but it's based off the way that we read the story, the way that we hear the story of Jesus. And it's, and I, and I find it, and I, and I would love to hear your thoughts, I guess, in, in pushing into that is how do we actually learn to, to sit with that tension based on the fact that we see the story of Jesus so radically different. There's the story of Jesus on one side is like, it's very exclusive. This is how it has to be. Like you, you know, you know what I mean. Any, any, any deviance from this threatens our position as as the people of Jesus. Where and then the other version of reading of the story is like very much this, you know Zachariah version of it. And I and I and I and I, and I just for me at least I have a hard time. I have a I'll be honest. I have a hard time sitting with that tension and that level of mm -hmm. fear over something that to me seems like the most obvious position that we that like you should have like how how do, how do you begin to actually talk about that deal with it and, and walk through that 
Well, I'd say one of the ways that we differ in how we understand ourselves is that um, you've always been a dreamer. I've always been the one who thought, um, and like if you're doing Enneagram, Carl is a unique snowflake of a four that needs to be special. I was a five, was am a five who's like, man, if only I got the right storyline, everything will resolve itself. Let me just dig into the past for a while. Then we won't even have to make a decision about the future. And Carl's like, no, you're taking away the development part. That's the awesome. Like, no, it's predictable if we just get the right line. Um, and I've had to read myself in these moments that it, in, in these things, um, we are all at some points limiting. We're all at some point setting boundary markers. We do disagree on boundary markers, and sometimes we forget that the movement of Jesus, the movement of compassion is always to transcend, to transgress boundary markers. It is in the violating of the boundary that Jesus brings people in, which is why everyone is always so upset with him. But I want to be in a place to where I can be fully Peter in Acts chapter 10. I can be an uptight, self-righteous twit meditating on the roof and being like, God, how could you ever ask me to do that? I've never eaten pork. Bacon's terrible. And then Gentiles come up and say, ew, you're the pork I was talking about. I would never go with you, but God said I had to. And even showing up to the dude's house who brought everyone over to have a party and be like, let's listen to this guy. He's smart. And he opens up that meeting by going, if it wasn't because God made me, I would never. Ew. Yeah, he's a valley girl in my head. And goes <laughs> into that whole motif that we all have those markers that we see that house, we see that person, we see that Roman, we see that centurion, we see that outsider and go, oh, nah, nah, that's a step too far. And to be surprised by discovering God was already there. Sometimes we are always looking out. So those that um, are more centralized within faith tradition, we think it's always expanding outward, not decentering those already firmly established so that we can then again see God present there as well. And that's where I've had to try to wrestle, not always well, but it helps when I read myself in Peter rather than the centurion who just said, I heard something from God, I'm the outsider. It helps as the more I let myself own that I'm part of the inside excluding, I'm part of the inside making boundary markers, not transgressing them. Um, it gives me a little bit more uh, liberty when I look at other people and go, okay, you had a boundary marker that probably should have been transgressed, but it wasn't my boundary to transgress. That was yours because you said it, you're the only one who could violate it. Yeah. And that, that's where I've had to try to wrestle with the, the conflicting narratives. Yeah, no. And, and I think like where I have a hard time, I think for me, at least where the hardest part of it is, is that I can see tangible harm come from the way that some people hold on to the boundary markers. So it's like, yes, you transgressed the boundary marker that you set and I can't do anything for you about it. But because you set that boundary marker, you also kind of seem to utilize it to smash people's skulls. And I'm like, that's just not a good thing. And I can't sit by and let that happen. Right? Like mm -hmm. that's, that's how I, I tend to feel. And there's a frustration there. I think the frustration rises up for me is that like, I had like, like, both of us have had conversation after conversation after conversation with people who said, yeah, but those boundary markers tried to cut me in half. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and it's like, for, like for me at least, 
that's where like that whole tangible harm thing and, and like does it help you to love jesus and love others more all those things begin to play play out for me but i also at the same time don't want to find myself then becoming the exclusivist on the other side of perspective and it's mm -hmm. like well everybody else everybody's welcome except for you jerk you, you, know, you know what i mean and it's like no like we still have to find a way to reconcile we still have to find a way to say your boundaries hurt me but you're still welcome at the table and we have to find a way to heal together yeah right? no that makes sense and i know for me um, part of it is one it's always much easier to overlook an offense that's happened to you as opposed to a friend yeah. because you're like oh that that wasn't cool um however for for levels of harm we're always going to have harm because we're humans trying to make whole decisions based off of incomplete information we see in part we know in part so we have whole actions that are done in part and that causes pain um but with that i think that's that's part of the prophetic call within the church that we've let go of by and large rather than siloing and saying I can exist without you. I will step away from you. I don't have to deal with you. I'll make my own group and just siloing and siloing, shrinking and shrinking. It's kind of the nation, the notion of being a pacifist. There is a coward's position of pacifism. That's I don't want to deal with conflict. So I'll avoid it and call it pacifism, but that's not a true pacifist. A pacifist refuses to use coercion, but still stands in front and in between says, I cannot allow this violence to happen to that person. So I'll take your violence and I'll swallow it as much as I can because I cannot allow your violence to stand. Yeah. And it's, which is a much more courageous pacifism because any of us can give ourselves a pacifist. I'm just a pacifist. I, I'm not going to show up there, but to show up and say, I will not attack. I will not kick out. I will not alienate, but this also cannot stand. So what do we do? Um, is a place that actually puts us into that prophetic tension to say, we don't allow harm, but also I will not use the same tools. I, I will not bend my plowshares back into swords to confront you on this. I'd love to continue on that train of thought, but uh, we do gotta, we gotta move on just cause of time. Um, so let's just move in like to, into the practical. And I think, for, I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm guessing that this narrative piece will continue over, but how do we create space to hold on to both readings rather than pick our favorite and forget the other? With power. We yeah. get the seats of power. We dictate everything. And then be like, man, by royal decree. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. And speak, speaking of power, like, it's interesting because, like, I remember being in a class, um, in, in a class, and the, the professor quoted a First Nations um, theologian where he said, like, I don't care where the power goes. I'm just looking for white people to give up power. Right. Mm. And, and, and I want, I, like, like, someone else just has to hold on to the power. And I'm like, and, and, and I remember just asking, isn't that like shuffling seats at the table, though? Like, so, like, like you're still defining who gets to be in and who gets to be out. So, like, it still creates somebody who's a power broker. Like, if I'm the person that can give up power, I'm also the person that can take it back, usually. Right? So it's like a pseudo giving up of the power versus mm -hmm. saying, like, that paradigm of power actually doesn't work. And we need to actually create like we got we got to flip the system on its head in a sense and so like we got to give up power and not like who i don't care who gets it or i'm, I'm going to be the broker of who can who can who who now gets it i'm going to say we're going to we, let's just let's just dismantle power and i think like that's the thing is that what we, often when we have these conflicting narratives 
is their power moves, right? They're like, mm -hmm. they're like, who gets to hold sway? Is it Zachariah or is it Nehemiah? Who gets power in our community? Um, and, you know, and I think at that point, like if we actually kind of find a way to, to defer power in a sense, to give up power and to say, um, I, I don't agree with your vision even, but I can create space. I can, I can, I can be present to it. I can, I, I my out of care, like, like we, if we move with curiosity versus, versus um, power, power, ambition or whatever language you want to put to that. Um, I think it, it creates a whole different dynamic at play. You, 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 know, you know what I mean? And um, I can't remember, uh, who was it that said this? Oh, our, our, our shared friend, Neil, mm -hmm. um, when he, he's the one that pointed it out, he's like, he's like, like the thing that, like the thing that kind of is the, the healing bomb for relationship in a sense, relationships, doesn't matter what kind, is, a, is, is, a, is always a renewed sense of curiosity, right? And, and I wonder for me personally, and, and for you as well, like how do we begin to, to actually engage the story with a new sense of curiosity again? Because I'm so, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm so invested in, in my version of the story that I'm, I'm really not curious about other people's narratives unless it helps me to build my own in certain kinds of ways, you, do you know what I mean? Um, and I've lost that curiosity to say, there's something new and something beautiful, even if it feels like it's the old stale version that I want to throw out. <laughs> you know, you know. Well, what I, mean? I, I agree, and um, it was kind of like I uh, forget who we were reading at the time because sometimes we read leadership books, but they said the only person who can declare a table um, has no hierarchy is the person at the top of the hierarchy, because anybody else can say it, but it won't happen. So it only exists in that place until the person at the top of the hierarchy, like you said, wishes to pull it back. So it can be a benevolent dictatorship, but it's always a dictatorship. The buck stops here. Um, in order to create a different system, like you said, we do have to reimagine, not just refill the, refill the seats of power. Yeah. Um, it's not enough just to say, as long as I'm represented as the chief power broker, which is usually what happens is, um, when we say we want white men to give up power, I am one. Um, it usually just looks like representation. I want the structure to stay. I just want my people there. And I would say one of the ways that we've tried to address this within FOST, which I actually think is good and we're still working on it, is we've tried to adopt some of the old rules of the brotherhood kind of motifs from, from the monastic traditions. Is you didn't always have a bunch of, you must believe these doctrinal statements. But you had a bunch of rules um, for how do you engage each other. So we can disagree, but we'll always show respect. We said we do not correct content, we correct harm. So when there's tangible harm being done, see someone shrink in because the way someone responded to them is blasting them and harmful. We actually do step into those moments like, yeah, we don't do that. Um, we start practicing curiosity in our gatherings, part of the reason why we gather to practice, to understand, to see a new way of existing within power structure. And in these ways, I think we are creating space for both to be held in a dynamic tension rather than choosing one over the other. Or um, as uh, a, a person said after one of the sermons, they said, oh, when you guys mentioned this section, I was waiting for the, well, in the Hebrew, it doesn't do that. And this is why it's not really a violent text. And it's like, when you guys just let the text be violent and say, okay, what do we do? For him, that was a healing moment. He's like, 
I don't have to pretend I don't see something. And that's where I think we create these spaces by having rules of engagement of relationship that are more important than answers. So it's more important that I show you value and listen to your story. It's more important that um, I understand myself as a guest at the table, not the host. So I sit with you at Christ's table, which means I can't dictate if you're here or not. It's more important that we create ways for curiosity rather than ways for answers. And if we can harness some of these more important things, then we will have a more polyvalent, um, multiple voices style of family sitting together. No, that's good, man. That's good. Um, like one, one thing that's just kind of coming to mind in, in light of that, like I know in the past for me personally, like I've struggled to kind of name like difference for like, you know what I mean? Like I, obviously I know folks is different and I, and I love folks because of that. And I, and I, and I, and I think it's a beautiful thing, but when someone's like, well, what, like what makes folks folks? And it's like, well, and, and I, and I, and I, I, I've tended to shy back to try to, to try to find commonality versus saying, well, no, this is actually what we do. This is why we, this, and, mm -hmm. and so I love the fact that you're able to name, to name that very clearly, you know, you know, you know, you know what I mean? And I think it's, it's helpful going forward as well, but what, like, it's, it's, I can't, oh man, I, I want to say it was, I can't remember her name. It's, um, off the, like, she's, she's on the Oprah channel, it, like the, the black lady that's like the counselor, the, like the therapist, do you know what I'm talking about? Anyways, it doesn't really matter. I'm blanking on her name. Um, so Oprah but, was counseling people. I yeah, but, but she's, but she, no, but she said this one thing that's, that's kind of always stuck in the back of my head. The best, like we'll call it the best way to start loving others is to learn how to love yourself. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? And I think like, there's a part of me that like, you know, you know, my journey over the last few years where I like, I, I, I want, I, I say, I love the body of Christ. Lord, help me love the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? And um, in the mix of that, I think part of, part of the thing that, that's allowed me to, to learn how to love the body of Christ better is that I've learned to, to accept, embrace and love the uniqueness that God has cultivated within folks. And because of that, it actually creates space at the table for other uh, for others that that aren't like folks, other other communities that aren't like folks. And I'm like, cool, do you? And that's awesome. Like, like I have no, there's no qualms about it. Um, but I think being able to name the difference and being able to say, I love that about our community, I think is the thing that allows us to be more expansive to love the whole body of Christ, if that makes sense. Yeah. And like you said, being able to name our reality, I would be poor if we named it to say, Nehemiah needs to leave because Zechariah is the only one we really like. Nehemiah just seems kind of like anti. Um, but when we can name our reality and say, this is how we sit in tension. And it's not tension against you. It's the tension of competing stories. And we're trying to write the next chapter in these competing stories. But it's not going to be because we found the secret key. It's going to be because we sat between, um, kind of like what we were talking about the other day about the uh, estuaria where the salt and the fresh hit. You need the depth that comes from trauma and saltiness, honestly. Um, usually the people that have the, the experience to become embittered, to become salty, they have a depth of experience. They, they real, um, most of the fresh life, fresh water kind of idea pouring in, usually are people who haven't been tested as much yet. They're super excitable. In the mixing of those waters, you have the potential for new life. Yeah. And it allows you to transition the depth of experience that allows you to see the conflict and not have to clean it up to sit in the violent tech to sit in the competing stories 
but the freshness of people saying, wow, this is beautiful and there's a new hope coming that maybe don't have all the marks that we've had to have to come to this place, but that's a good because then they also won't have to be purged of all the baggage that we had to get purged from to get to this place. And, and we can get that moment um, and we exist between so that people, uh, to use that natural example, like we said, we're not trying to control whether you go to the depth of the salty waters or back up, up river into fresh water, but we exist in that place so that you can experience both. You can go into the depths or back into the fresh, but we, we try to hold those boundaries of togetherness so that both things enable life. That's awesome, man. I think that's a, that's a great metaphor for us to wrap up on. Um, so with, with that, man, I think like, 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 Normally we would we would pause and kind of say, well, here's what we talked about. But mm-hmm. I feel like like to this this episode had a had a pretty tight theme throughout all of it, man. And so maybe instead of giving us like the wrap up on each question, like if you had to summarize in one sentence what we talked about today, how would you summarize it, man? Today we got to sit in the tension of multiple experiences, creating multiple stories, talking about the same city and events. So that together as a community, we can reimagine, reform, and pursue the new hope, the new Jerusalem, and the new way of being within the world that creates the most life for the most people as we join with the co-creator God who always does God's best to bring out flourishing life for the people around. That's awesome, man. I think like the sentence I would use to sum it up would just be, as as, as we learn to listen to other people's perspectives, it can help us have a new perspective ourselves as we see the story. And I think that like, for me, it's kind of what I took away from the conversation that we had mm. today. Um, so with that, man, uh, dude, man, it's been a great conversation, man. I've missed having these and I, and I look forward to, you know, bringing the, you know, the continuing the conversation back. But with that, like we're, we're going to, we're going to sign off for today. And so if you want more information about folks, you want to follow along, you want to join us in any of our journey, all the different things that we do, you can find all that information at www.fos.church. And that's www.fos.church. And with that, peace.